Welcome to the Future Work Playbook. This podcast series features founders, investors, and legal talent that will help you embrace technology and transform your organization for a better future. This series is hosted by Natalie Pierce, the chair of Gunderson Detmer's Labor and Employment Law Practice. Natalie and her guests are committed to helping you develop new playbooks to elevate your game. Hello, everyone, and Happy New Year. We have reached our final episode of the second season of the Future Work Playbook. This season, we had the privilege to speak with extremely talented companies in the life sciences industry that are leading revolutionary innovation for the betterment of human capital. In today's season finale, I'm excited to welcome CEO Dr. Patricia Herter and President and COO Jessica Ballinger from Lindra Therapeutics, a company that is reinventing the way we take medicine. Last summer, Lindra closed a $60.5 million Series C financing round led by AIG Investments. Ladies, welcome. Thank you very much. Great to be here. So, doctor, you asked that I call you Trish on this podcast. And uh, Jessica, you asked that I call you Jess. So I will. So Trish, I would like to begin by asking you to please share with our audience how you are reinventing medicine for a healthier world. So Lendra's developing these ultra long acting oral therapies that allow you to take your medicine once a week or even as infrequently as only once a month, just making it much easier for you to stay healthy, basically. And, you know, there's really been very little innovation in drug delivery over the past few decades or even centuries when you talk about oral drug delivery. But if you think about it, you know, when you take an, a pill, you, you have these fluctuating levels of drug. It's almost like getting sugar high after drinking a Coke and then the levels plummet again. And that's really not how you want drug to be delivered. You want it to be delivered nice and consistently with a nice steady profile. Obviously, taking it less frequently also makes it just a whole lot easier to, um, to stay compliant with your medication. So that's basically what we're doing. And, and you know, an oral pill that lasts for a week or longer has never, never been done. It's, um, it's really a game changer. And, and that's what we're working on. It's just incredible. And I will say that you're definitely putting that PhD in chemical engineering from MIT to great use uh, for all of us. So thank you again to both of you for, for being here. So shifting a bit, in past episodes, we've started with understanding the state of the industry. And I think we we know this current state of the industry is daily pills. But for this episode, I really like to start by recognizing the prominent female leadership throughout your company. How did Lindra accomplish this? And how do you plan to continue to improve and support diversity throughout the company? Well, so Lindra, one of the founding members of the company was Amy Shulman. She was actually the founding CEO. So it was founded by a woman. And there was a real strong emphasis right from the very beginning about having a diverse workforce. It was one of the things she really wanted to achieve. And then, of course, she picked me as her successor. And so, you know, even when I joined the company, it was very clear that even though most of the company are, you know, engineers, which is not necessarily a, you know, female dominated field, more than half the company were women. And we, you know, kept that going basically. So between our board, between the executive team and everybody in the company, we have, you know, again, 50 something percent women, uh, around 40 percent ethnic diversity and about 20, 20 something percent people that identify as LGBTQ. So and we're, you know, we're diverse in many other ways too, you know, in terms of people's personalities and what they like to do and hair color and every other, every other aspect. And so I think when someone comes to interview at Lindra, you know, and they see the team, 
they just say, oh, gee, I want to work there. If, you know, if you're somebody who identifies as someone from an underrepresented group and you say, I, I can feel comfortable here because I can see there's people like me, you know, both on my team and also at the leadership level. So I think it's almost like a self-sustaining thing that once you start off that way, it's just pretty easy actually to keep it going. Yeah. In learning more about your company, what did become quickly obvious to me is that you do have such a rich and diverse you know, collection of, of talents that is really dedicated to making the meaningful change uh, your company is dedicated to making. Jess, do you want to weigh in? Yeah, thank you for asking. I was fortunate to be here from almost the beginning and been a pleasure to work with both Trish and Amy through the creation of the company. And just thinking about what you just said, we are very mission-driven. The things that we want to do and have an impact for patients resonates with our families. Everyone that comes to Linder first comes to Linder to think about that mission-driven element from the global and public health. And then if you follow on with the stories, our three major um, initiatives, or I guess our, our core values actually that we've aligned with and recentered ourselves around through COVID was value every voice, I contribute, we deliver, and resilient to the core. In the first two, you can see how our diversity and inclusion, and we do lean into inclusion even more than diversity. Because I think both Trish, as she says, and how we really feel, if you value every voice, shouldn't matter what you look like or your background or anything else, should just be what you contribute to the team. And that's how we provide our rewards mechanisms and how we support each other. It's much more about the, the how than the what, because everybody's extremely motivated on the what. And I think, you know, as you come to get to know Trish and I a little bit better, we we're make it happen kind of people. So it's really about doing it within a sense of, Everyone matters. And during COVID, we doubled the company from about 50 people to about 120. We opened up two sites. We're only in Watertown, but we effectively opened up, you know, the virtual site, which was new for us, as well as opened up our Lexington site, which was for manufacturing. All of that without furloughing anyone, laying anyone off and being able to, you know, accelerate the interacting, the diversity and the talent that we have. Now, when you look at the team, as Trish said, when you walk in and look at the team and see them visually, we've continued to demonstrate our ability to attract diverse candidates just by who's in the building. That is so powerful. And yeah, I have to say, Jess, I just, I love that. And what perfect messages in this new world. And, and Jess, I'm going to stick with you, please. I understand a little bit, you know, obviously, uh, given, given how diverse your existing talent set is, why it is that you're able to uh, really attract great talent. But can you tell us a little more about what's unique about your approach to attracting talent and team building? And in other words, you know, how do you consistently ensure that you're walking the walk when it comes to your commitment to diversity of ideas, interests, and backgrounds? I, I think, and, and I think it feels a little bit silly to say this because both Trish and I are way too, we, we don't toot our horns enough, I don't think, but we have enough people when they come to us, interview with us. And, and frankly, even people who have probably left the company for one reason or another, you know, five years old as a company, it's time for some people to make other decisions and move on. And there's a consistent message that we do walk the walk, that whenever they're, and it's not just Trish, it's our whole executive team, it's our board, it's our, you know, our managers, and it's just the team themselves. We have a diversity and inclusion team, and it's not the same as you might imagine that both when Trish was at Pfizer or at Vertex and I was at Pfizer or Biogen that we would have created. 
those kind of environments were about trying to make a change in, in diversity inclusion. Our community collates around from the grassroots about having different kinds of conversations. And so we enable and support and participate in conversations around Stop Asian Hate, Black Lives Matter, LGBTQ community. We support through, you know, whatever our time is on volunteering, both focus mainly on some of the disease areas, which I'm sure we're going to talk about here in a little bit that we support, but also within that, you know, giving back to our communities. And it really is just the thread of the team. It's why people came and it really does start with our mission elements of, you know, changing global and public health and it, and it flows through from there. Well, it really is such meaningful work and you're absolutely right that it, it's key to really set the example and clearly you're doing that. Let's switch back to where Lindra is focusing its efforts, um, which is the moving of patients from having to take daily pills to having to take them maybe just once a week or, or once a month in terms of oral treatment options. Can you set up for us a couple of the top problems plaguing patients and their caregivers when a patient has to take daily pills? Let me maybe start with you, Trish, if that's all right. Sure. So, I mean, just for example, for myself, you know, I had a um, sinus infection and I got prescribed, I think it was doxycycline, needed to take it twice a day for five days. I was, you know, highly motivated to take it as a very compliant patient, but I didn't want to have a sinus infection. Right. And, uh, you know, I got to Saturday morning and I knew I should be done. And I looked in the bottle and there were still three tablets left. And I'm kind of that that happened. You know, it's just, mm-hmm. it's just really hard when you're taking multiple pills a day, every day to actually remember, even if you use pulse sorters and everything else, you know, and, and if you then talk about diseases in the CNS area, you know, we've got somebody who's got some kind of mental disorder or maybe Alzheimer's disease. You can imagine like an aging parent trying to remember to help them take their medication every day. It's just real, real challenge. If you could do that once a week, either through, you know, a caregiver intervention or a family member, that's a lot easier. So we, we definitely feel like our dosage form could be applied to, you know, pretty much any medication which is taken for more than a day, whether that's something chronic or whether it's something semi-acute, like a, like a bacterial infection. But, you know, when you talk about the CNS area, that's really where we can have huge added value in the short run. And so in particular, for example, in schizophrenia, it's really, really important for people with schizophrenia to stay on the medication. If you get diagnosed with schizophrenia, if you maintain yourself on stable therapy, then you can avoid these psychotic breaks and, you know, relapses and hospitalizations that occur. And when you have those, um, it's almost like having a concussion to your brain. It actually causes damage to your brain. that's very hard to recover from. And so over time, people's you know, cognitive function just decreases into their ability to, you know, hold down a job and maintain just a normal daily life really goes downhill. And so that's why, you know, even though schizophrenia is about 1% prevalent in the general population, it's about 30% actually in the homeless population, because a lot of people that have schizophrenia, they don't stay on stable therapy. That's what happens is kind of this downward spiral in their life circumstances. So anyway, so it turns out that, you know, even something like schizophrenia, where it's critical to be adherent, you know, patients report, you know, 60% of them report, self-report low adherence. And so there are long-acting injectables. So long-acting injectables are a great solution. The psychiatrists all in favor of them, but the patients don't prefer them. So only about 15% of patients are actually on long-acting injectables. The remainder of the patients are still on daily tablets that they're struggling to adhere to. So for those, for that 85%, for us to have something where, you know, you can take something as an oral at home in a preferred way, but it's still a long-acting formulation, uh, we really think that could be a, a game changer. Total game changer. And it makes me think of my mom who's had 
Parkinson's for many, many years now. And there are just days, I, I think she probably takes over 20 pills a day, it seems like, uh, just for, for a, a combination of you know medical challenges. And there are just some days that it's very challenging for the caregivers to get her to take the medication on time, you know, even, even having to hide it in, in food, uh, just trying all the tricks in the book. And once you miss a dose of the medication, it, it is a problem that just seems to uh, become quickly exaggerated. Yeah. And then there's things like, you know, things something like diabetes, you know, if somebody took the medication reliably when they're first diagnosed, they wouldn't then, you know, get all these other bad things that happen. You know, so the, the reason why people on so many medications is they don't sort of nip it in the bud and, and, and you know, stay healthy in the beginning. Right. Um, so if you could actually just keep people not developing full-blown disease, you know what I mean? You could actually avoid people having to go on so many medications. But you know, your point about, you know, your mom with Parkinson's, for example, it's also just, like you said, it's that dynamic of having to negotiate with somebody who's maybe not necessarily hundred percent in their right mind in some situations right, right. every single day while taking a pill, you know, somebody who's depressed or somebody who's got schizophrenia, they're not necessarily thinking rationally at that moment. And so, you know, it's just really, really hard to have that conversation and to do it every day. It just it sets up a really bad family dynamic. And so again, the, the less frequent you can make that, the more likely you are to be successful in keeping a patient on the therapy. Absolutely. And, and no, no question. This is a game changer. And, and, and this seems like an obvious challenge that we've been well aware of for some time. And I, I, I do want to discuss what, you know, what has been holding the industry back from developing these drugs, what's been preventing the change and, and what is Lindra doing to approach this differently? Basically people have tried to do what, you know, what we call gastric retentive formulations, which is basically something that stays in your stomach. So, because to have a truly long acting formulation, and when you swallow a pill, usually you swallow it and it just travels down and through your digestive tract and is excreted in about 24 hours. So, you know, that's not going to give you a long acting pill, even if the drug's being released slowly, if it's not staying in your body. So you need it to stay in the stomach and slowly release drug, but your stomach is designed to get things out of it. That's, you know, what your stomach does. If you have all these gastric contraction ways, 500 to 1,000 of them a day, that are trying to you know, get the contents of your stomach out of your stomach and into the intestine. So doing that is, is just very challenging. And the companies that have tried before have managed to get something to stay in the stomach for between eight to 12 hours, which could maybe take a drug that's, you know, what it was going to be twice a day and make it down to once a day, but you know, no more than that. And so we really have a huge step change going from that to those forms that can stay in the stomach for a week or, you know, even longer. And so it's been a really sort of a, a sort of a giant leap for mankind or whatever Armstrong said. So yeah, anyway. exactly. um, and, and the, the reason why we were able to do that is basically because our dosage form is designed in such a way that we separate out the different jobs of the dosage form. So materials that control the drug release are not the same materials that control when the dosage form exits the stomach. So the dosage form releases the drug and it remains the same size and shape the entire time, for example, seven days while it's releasing drug for a weekly dosage form. At the end of the week, then there are these linkers that connect the arms of a, of a sort of star-shaped dosage form to the core, and those linkers disintegrate and soften. And then at that point, the arms fall off and become floppy. And then at that point, the whole thing can exit because it becomes all the components become small enough to leave the stomach. So it's basically using different materials for different functions. And that was one of the sort of huge insights that came out of you know Bob Lang's labs at MIT as a sort of different way of approaching this problem, which is what's allowed us to be successful. Oh, that's fascinating. Jess, let me turn now 
back to you. Can you, for our audience, break down anecdotally what these new drug discoveries will do for patients, prescribers, this healthcare system, and even pharma, pharma and biotech? Um, are there is there anything from your trials you could share? I think if you step back into what Trish explained just moments ago about how the dosage form works and why it makes a difference from a delivery of medication to patients. It's both for patients and prescribers, a really important trade-off. And if you just think about schizophrenia for a minute, the trade-off for having someone have a long-acting injectable, with, which provides the most effective and safe use of the drug so that the, that the patient doesn't relapse and the family can, in fact, ensure that they're having the right care. They don't have that solution with the once daily oral and the compromise that they're being asked to take is, is very great with only you know something like less than 20% of the people actually taking a long acting injectable. If it was the answer, there would be more people on it, but the answer is the way in which the drug works. So when you think where Linda is providing the solution from a once weekly or even a once monthly, the simplicity we provide for patients and the freedom from daily pills, but in this case, also the freedom from an injectable that actually isn't treating them the way that they wish to be treated given their mental health condition. You know, we really are providing a solution that will just transform their lives and they transform their, con their connection to their caregivers. And that is also really important to the prescribers. I think both Trish and I were really, I think we knew it, but we didn't quite put our finger on it. And when we listened to our KOLs and our advisory boards, we had some prescribers describing a day in the life where they really, they went to pick up their patient and take them to the clinic to get their medication because they were that concerned the patients weren't coming in and weren't being treated. And these are very passionate psychiatrists and prescribers that just know that these medicines make a difference. And for the patients that they're caring for, they're just not meeting the right unmet need. And I think that if you then add that into the healthcare system, and also what we saw in our clinical trials, we enrolled our phase two study during COVID incredibly fast. We were super shocked. We thought it would take us, you know, I don't know how many months, but we did it within a quarter and we were complete. And just from the feedback and how fast that went in, in the clinical study, patients really did want to be a part of this study. And there were a host of reasons, notwithstanding, we know we have a big impact during COVID to have at-home delivered medications as opposed to at-clinic delivered medications. You can see that in the HIV medications that are getting launched now and some of these other super critical COVID applications where you need to go to these clinics, but you're not safe to go to them for the reasons of the pandemic. And it really did emphasize around the patient-centric part of this that we should provide better solutions to our patients. And the prescribers agreed with us in, within our advisory boards. And so we're looking forward to having more feedback from KOLs and prescribers as we go along our, our next journey for next year, as we go into the, the larger studies and registration. I would then add, it, it, may, it may be obvious, but it might not be. If you think about, um, we also work in opioid use disorder, and we're really proud that we have a fast track designation filing with the FDA to make a once weekly oral methadone-based treatment. And we have been working closely with some of the thought leaders, both at the NIH, but also within other parts of the um, care model for the clinic 
around this where right now patients go daily to the methadone clinic and stand in line. And that is very much, a, a, I'd say, a selfish compromise we've asked these yeah. patients to make. But they can't get back to their lives, right? They, they're bound and, and attached to that process every single day. And, and we hear things like, we're fortunate we live in Boston and can have access to different things. But for example, in Vermont, the methadone clinic is in Burlington, Vermont, and people have to drive three hours to get there to take their daily treatment. And I just think it's a ridiculous expectation. And if we can provide once weekly observe, they still get the support they need, but they can come once a week. You can just imagine how simple that would change their life and give them a freedom they've not had or never will have again because it's, it's for life that they actually are on methadone. There is a financial component too. And then I'll you know, answer the pharma and biotech one. If you just use schizophrenia as an example, and each disease has its own time horizon, but a lot of the diseases we're treating first off are in the central nervous system or in the mental health area. So they're, they're similar, like you spoke about Parkinson's. With a person diagnosed around age 25, which is common in schizophrenia, um, it's about $100,000 a year for the annual cost to treat. Wow. And the relapses themselves, which most people have because they're not adherents, can go anywhere from sixteen dollars to $33,000 just for that particular event, that acute event and stabilization. And so you can see it's like a, it's a financial downward spiral. The longer you go, the more resources you pull. And frankly, I've taken care of my brother who passed away from HIV a few years ago. And the longer he was in care, the harder it was for him to access care because just the cost of it, everything cost more. And so you had to have real advocacy from your family to know how to kind of navigate that. And I think if, if you go back to Trisha's main point that we provide the right solutions up front, we shouldn't be asking everybody to compromise on gaining access, taking care of themselves, simplifying their lives, going back to work, whatever that story is, and then having the, the healthcare system cost on top of it, also trying to push you out of the healthcare system, because that's kind of what happens in, in our environment. And then your last question was around, I think, the pharma biotech. We do. We're very fortunate to have strong partners in our network already with, with teams like Gilead working on HIV prevention. And as we think about those things, there are many medicines that could start already use a once weekly oral. But if you did think about medicines that couldn't be developed that are really important to patients that were coming through the early clinical trials, and let's say, just as one example, it might be something that the, the way the biology works, it, you have to dose it two or three times a day as opposed to once a day. That's already a horrible compromise. And you think about this mechanism of delivery, as Trish explained it, there are things that we can see and anticipate to be able to help some of those products that would be really impactful and meaningful in disease areas that haven't even been treated yet because they're still kind of working their way through the discovery and development paradigm, but they would need something like this to be more successful. And they could take them right now. They're probably shelled. They're just put aside and deprioritized because they don't see how to get them there. And this was something that can unlock that. Jess, I, I have to say your passion and your prior experience in redesigning and transforming patient centered technical development shines through. I really Hear, I hear it in, in both your voices. And it, it, again, it's such a privilege to be speaking with you and to really be able to highlight what you and your team are doing. You know, the, the Linder team, it, it really is developing such an elegant solution. And 
you know, we all know to make these game changing type of moves to develop that new playbook, you need funding for things like uh, clinical trials and, and for your talent. And we mentioned you recently closed your series C in uh, the summer of 2021 last year. Can you tell us about where you're focusing efforts in 2022? Yeah, um, we're excited to say that we are close and we will begin our respiridone based uh, LYN005, as we like to call it internally, pivotal trials in the new year. And within the next 12 to 18 months, you'll see us preparing for our first registration and commercial launch of that lead asset for schizophrenia and bipolar, as Trish already shared. And quickly followed on, we're developing a second product, aeropiprazole, that can treat additional patients within the same schizophrenia and bipolar network. So we can provide multiple solutions, as we've heard from our KOLs, not just one medicine makes a difference for these patients. So we're happy to, that we'll be able to bring aeropiprazole on really quickly. And then we've already mentioned that we have these strategic relationships uh, one with the NIH on opioid use disorder to accelerate the love and methadone work that we're doing. And the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation has been with us from the beginning and have continued as our partners that we're working on a once monthly oral contraception and a once biweekly malaria eradication medication. And both of those are important, both in the disease areas we work in, but that we're expanding the pipeline from a weekly dosage form to a monthly dosage form. And so we're excited. You'll see those in the clinic next year and in the next 12 to 18 months. Great news. And I, I want to say congratulations, but it's really congratulations to, to the world for uh, what we're, uh, for the things to come in, in this, in this area. I, again, a, a challenge that we've had for some time and, and definitely so promising to see everything that we've been able to, to achieve through the work you've done thus far. And Trish, if, if we're looking beyond 2022, you know, the next five years or so, what changes in the drug discovery, you know, the clinical trials process or other major shifts in the industry do you predict? I think it's interesting, you know, there's a lot of innovation in the pharmaceutical industry, but when it comes to the delivery of the medicines, I think that's more of a neglected area and it's obviously really important. And I think that's becoming more clear, you know, particularly with things like gene therapy, for example, everybody's realizing that doing the, the editing is easy. It's, it's getting the, uh, getting the things that you need into the body is that's the issue. So it's really the delivery of the gene therapy that's the problem. Um, and then similarly, you know, with the messenger RNA COVID vaccines, again, making the messenger RNA was fairly easy. Delivering it into the body was the really challenging part. And when it comes to oral drug delivery, there's really been you know, almost no innovation in decades. And if you think about it, if somebody comes up with a great therapeutic, you know, they don't want it to be having these fluctuating up and down zigzaggy drug levels. You'd say, no, 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 I want to have it at the target concentration to give you the effect. Because obviously, when it's too high, it causes you know, toxicity and safety issues. When it's too low, it's not efficacious. So you really want it bumping along in that nice therapeutic zone. But you don't get that with a, with a typical daily pill. You do get that without dosage form. If you think about something like diabetes, as an example, you know, it's not that there aren't good therapies to treat diabetes. There's plenty of them. The problem is that people aren't adherent. And so, you know, people are coming up with new drugs. It's like, well, that's great. But if patients don't take the new drugs, that's not actually solving the problem. And so I think, you know, our solution is actually addressing the problem that is the underlying cause of a lot of chronic health conditions. And so, you know, the way I see it is like, you know, sort of five to 10 years from now, 
it's kind of how people used to be willing to take pills two or three times a day. And now it's like, no, no, no. Once a day is plenty. Thank you very much. One small pill once a day is more than I, you know, more than I'm happy to deal with. I think a few years from now, the expectation is going to be, no, I want to take my medicine, you know, weekly or monthly. And so anybody who comes out with a new drug that isn't in Linda's dosage drug delivery system mm-hmm. is just not going to be commercially successful because, you know, you pretty much, the gold standard is going to be still having a long acting oral, basically. No, the, the, the market will really drive uh, the way that, that the medications are, are developed. And it just seems like a much better approach. And yeah, I'm, but, you know, HIV, for example, you know, when, yes. when people, when first, when, you know, HIV and AIDS was first to became an issue, I mean, in the beginning, people were so grateful to have anything that would work. And so they were willing to take a handful of large tablets multiple times a day just to keep the disease under control. Whereas now the standard is, you know, maximum one reasonably sized pill once a day. And a lot of the companies are now, you know, working on long acting, of course, injectables, which patients don't prefer, but just because that's just the way it's going, you know, and, and I think that's going to happen here too, that once, once long acting oral becomes available, people are going to say, yeah, that's, that's how my medicine basically. I completely agree. I'm sure all of our listeners do as well. I am sad to say we're, we're nearing the end of uh, this episode, but before we do get to our conclusion, on this podcast, we love to share practical tips with other founders and leaders uh, and frankly, uh, all of our listeners. So what are some of the lessons or tips that you wish you would have known earlier or any advice for other innovators that are working to accomplish things that have never been done before? Yeah, I guess, you know, my, one of my main things that I like to do is set really ambitious goals. I call them BHAGs, you know, big, hairy, audacious goals. Wait, repeat, repeat that, Trish. Big, hairy, audacious goals. I love that. Yes, they came from this book. Um, well, there's two books, and one's called Good to Great, and the other one, I forget what it's called now, anyway. Good, yeah, really cool. I know, Good to Great, yeah. Yes, so basically the whole idea, as you said, this really ambitious goal, that's it's so ambitious that it's kind of almost comical, you know what I mean? And then you just try to achieve it, and it's amazing. It's really incredible how it actually happens. It's just, it's, it's, and then the other thing is that everybody in the company knows where you're headed. Then if they come across something they think might be setting you in that direction, they don't have to ask should I be following up on this? They know they have to, you know what I mean? So it's, it's really great keeping the whole company going in the same direction. And then the other thing is, you know, I don't like being too rigid about plans for the future. I think you have to be nimble, flexible, and resilient because, you know, stuff happens and you need to be able to adapt to whatever the current circumstances. I mean, COVID is a great example of that. And then, you know, the third one is that, you know, opportunity doesn't wait for you. You basically, successful people make it happen, right? So the people who are successful, they encounter obstacles and roadblocks and everything else, but they just find a way to prevail, whether they have to find someone else to help them or whatever, they'll, they'll just get it done. And it's amazing. There's people that can do that and people that don't do that just as a total make it happen for some other way, but um, successful people make it happen. And, and uh, I think that's just something to kind of keep in mind. Don't ever make excuses, you know, just figure out a way to get it done. Basically. Yeah. You got to make it happen. So Jess, as a person who makes it happen, any tips that you can share with our listeners? No, I think Trish and I are extremely aligned and, and, and I would just add to a bit to the flexibility. We would, the heart of a startup, but honestly, the heart of product development and drug development is that if you, if it's meaningful, it's hard and it's never been done before, better plan to be flexible and inspired and motivated. I always tell my team, everybody in the company, but definitely my team who carry a lot of, you know, different things in, in the operations organization, you know, it's safe to live in chaos because honestly, if we knew what the roadmap was, this wouldn't be this meaningful. It's never predictable. It's not linear. 
And if you got to get it done, you're just going to have to figure out how to do it. And as long as you fall back to those values we talked about earlier, you know, it's safe to do that. And I think Trish leads by example of safety and psychological safety. And I implore that as well. And so therefore all of these things about ambitious goals and getting it, getting after it, you know, people can be motivated by that and not, not afraid to take a leap. Love it. Thank you both for that. Such perfect, perfect tips as we are in the new year and looking for appreciating how important it is that we be flexible, but also that we be driven and that we be audacious in, in our goals. This really is a new world and it's going to take all of us really doing our best to contribute to making this new world uh, a better one. All right. So I always uh, like to end by telling the audience a fun fact is it can be a story, joke, favorite movie, you name it. I'll start by sharing that my favorite candles have wood wicks, which make them crackle like a small fireplace. Uh, They're perfect for the holiday uh, season and, you know, uh, winter days, but they have a ridiculous name, uh, manly indulgence. Um, That's what they're (laughs) called, (laughs) but they're great. (laughs) Um, So anything that you're willing to share, maybe we'll start with you, Trish. Yeah, I think um, for me, I think that there's maybe this gene that's a thrill seeking gene. And I think I have it basically. So I grew up in South Africa where people are a bit crazy in general. And um, I grew up sailing a lot. And, uh, you know, we go out into very perilous situations. There's a a section of coast called the Wild Coast, which is named very aptly. And we'd have boats sink and be lost at sea and all those kinds of things. And then next weekend, we'd be out there doing it again kind of thing. And um, and now, you know, I've always, always loved horses and wanted to be into horses. And, you know, as I kind of got my own money, once I started working, kind of got into it in a big way. So I, I like to do show jumping and, you know, that's can be scary too, but it's, wow. you know, you just feel so, so energized and so just great, you know, just that adrenaline rush just really does it for me. And I think, you know, people who are brave enough to join us at Linda probably in general like a little danger. And so we have a lot of thrill seeking people. So a lot of people in the company do stuff. I don't even know what, but you know, it's kind of cool. Now, now I know if, if you are a thrill seeker and, and you want to make the world a better place, join Lindra. I love that. <laughs> right, how about you, Jess? I guess the apple doesn't fire from the tree, fall from, fall far from the tree. Uh, I too, I mean, I'm not, I'm stationary in my house on a uh, road bike, but I, I just finished today climbing 29,000 feet in a week and I'm on a competitive team and it's global and it's amazing. It's a lot of strong women and we're all, you know, 50 plus, but man, I bet you they would beat a lot of people on the roads because they're just phenomenal in both, you know, in a supportive environment, but a drive for success and fitness. And it's just, you know, I get up every morning and as Trish is jumping horses, I'm doing that. By the time we get to work, we're highly energized, which may be why we drive everybody crazy, Trish, but it's at the end of the day. Real seeking and change making is definitely what we do. Okay. Well, this may not be appropriate for the podcast, but I just want to say that you are both what I call badass women. <laughs> I'm so impressed. All right. So we've, we have reached the end. Uh, listen, as we continue to utilize technology and discover new pathways in drug development, we are grateful to trailblazers such as Lindra Therapeutics whose great work is impacting the life of so many. Thank you so much for being with us today, Trish and Jess. 
Thank you very much for having us. We enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, thank you for the invitation. Well, we certainly wish you continued success on this next phase of your journey. And thanks everyone for joining us. We are wishing you warmth and light in the new year. Thank you. You've just listened to the Future Work Playbook. This podcast series is brought to you by Gunderson Detmer, the world's number one law firm representing venture capital funds and high growth companies. Join Natalie Pierce on our next episode as she and her guests help prepare your organization for the future. Please subscribe to the Future Work Playbook.